My name is Sheridan Mortlock. I'm Miss Earth Australia Air 2020, and this is my interview with the Pageant Project. Good evening, everyone. I have a very special guest here today, uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm great, thank you. Um, I've got some new re-recordings coming out very soon, so keep an eye out for those. <laughs> what happened to your accent? You sound Australian. <laughs> I've actually secretly been hiding out in Australia and I had to pick up this accent so people wouldn't know who I am. <laughs> um, so I hope it's convincing, you know, g'day, mate, and all of that. <laughs> Like all the other Hollywood celebrities, you'd be hiding out in Byron Bay. Um, anyway, so my guest is actually Sheridan Mortlock, <laughs> a.k.a. Taylor Swift. I guess since we started on that note, I should ask the Taylor Swift thing. You said it's been going on for a while. Yeah. How long has it been going and how did it start? So I actually hadn't even heard of Taylor Swift until I was in year six of primary school. So I was like... 11 or 12 maybe I don't even remember that was so long ago but I was at this school camp and um these two girls came up to me who were a little bit younger than me and they're like oh my god you're Taylor Swift and I'm like who I seriously thought they'd confuse me with someone they know and they're like no you look like Taylor Swift I'm like oh okay and they sort of followed me around camp the entire time I was there being like you're Taylor Swift you're Taylor Swift I'm like okay I've got to google who this woman is because they obviously think that I'm her so I went home and I googled and um, obviously she found out she was a singer. So then I listened to a Red album because that's the most one that came out at that time. And then I fell in love with her. And ever since then, people have just been calling me Taylor Swift, um, especially I had bangs at one stage in year 11 or 12 in high school um, because we actually did like a high school's got talent like rip off of like Australia's got talent thing. And I was judged Taylor Swift and I had bangs for that. And we performed for the primary school. My mum um, is a tradie. So she was working on a house in town when that happened. And the kids came home from school after seeing my performance. And my mum told me this story. They ran up to their mother and they're like, Mum, Mum, Taylor Swift was at our school. She was amazing. You know, like I got to meet her. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> But, yeah, ever since I was about 12, it's been happening. But I love her. So I love it. I do not mind at all. <laughs> it, it would have been super awkward if you looked her up and just detested them. I mean, that would have been very, very awkward. But, but back up for a sec, the young girls actually thought you were Taylor Swift. Um, the, the kids at the primary school, some of them did when I performed, but at the camp, I, they knew I wasn't Taylor Swift, but they really loved Taylor Swift. So they were sort of like my own little groupies in a way, but like, I didn't know them and I didn't know Taylor Swift. So it was sort of like a bit awkward. I'd actually try to like avoid them. I'm like, who are you? Why are you following <laughs> me around? You know, <laughs> leave me alone. I don't understand, but like, I have no idea what their names are or where they are now, but you guys were the first. So congratulations. <laughs> So if you're out and about and someone just goes, Oi, Taylor, loved you in whatever, you you turn around? No, literally my <laughs> high school nicknames were Sherry, Shezza, which was the Bogan one, and Taylor. Like if someone said Taylor, I would turn around, even though my name is not Taylor, because I would assume they're talking to me. <laughs> Can you explain for our international viewers, because I don't get to interview Australian queens very often, define Bogan. 
Okay, so bogans are a little bit, I guess the <laughs> closest comparison off the top of my head is sort of like rednecks in America, but not that extreme. Some of them can be, but usually it's like not that extreme, but they're sort of just like really, really laid back. Um, sometimes they've got like this twangy accent of like, a, say, an even more stereotyped Australian accent. Um, they usually get around, like the guys get around in like singlets and flip-flops or thongs we call them here but I don't want to cause confusion internationally this one <laughs> um yeah so like that's sort of like what they are in Australia I guess the closest comparison I think it confuses a lot of my international friends how we go from a name such as Sheridan to Sheza <laughs> it, it's like you just lost a load of your syllables. The people just gave up and just put za at the end. It, it's oh. either R's or O's, oh, you know, yeah. with, with like Jono, Servo, <laughs> and then there's the R, like Maccas, Sheza. <laughs> have you, have you, things. we do. Have you given any thought to if you were to, I don't know if you've spoken internationally a lot or had a lot of international fans contact you, but explaining the Australian slang, have you run into any sort of confusion, awkwardness? There were, in first year of uni, there were these, um, I made friends with these French exchange students that were there. And so, you know, obviously um, talking to them and sometimes the Aussie slang would come out and they'd be like, what, what's that, you know? But one of the most memorable things that I remember where like our sort of slang um, was really confusing was we actually, um, my family and I hosted this Japanese university student as she was teaching us Japanese at primary school. And one yeah. day my mom's like, oh, just pop that in the microwave. And she's like, pop, pop in microwave, you know? And she's like, yeah, yeah, just pop it in the microwave. And she, like, it didn't make sense because I guess when you think of it, you know, put in the microwave, place in the microwave. Yeah. But then we say just pop in the microwave. And I guess that was, yeah, that's definitely one language barrier with, like, the Australian slang. That's not the one I was expecting. Can you introduce yourself in Japanese? I can actually. Um, so, hajimemashite, watashi wa Sheridan desu. Dozo yoroshiku onegaishimasu. No idea what you said, but it sounded right. Now, can you introduce yourself in French? Oh my gosh, you know, I, I minored in French last year, but <laughs> most of Harvard was in lockdown, so it's like hard. But let me see. Um, bonjour, je m'appelle Sheridan. Uh, enchanté. So <laughs> <laughs> I think your Don't Japanese sounded smoother than your French. The, the, the French sounded like you got that out of like a, a phrase book or something, but but I got it. Okay, we got there. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about, um, easy question, how you got into the world of pageantry to begin with? Of course. So it was my first year of university. It was 2019 and it was in my second semester. And I was sort of feeling a bit like, not bored, but I wanted something interesting and exciting and I wanted just something extra to do. And so I'm like, oh, well, pageants. Like I I did one way back called Miss Teen Australia. Um, that was when I was still in high school. Um, and that was a very, very unique experience. So I'm like, okay, let me try this again. Um, never thought I'd do it again because it was so overwhelming, especially for me who grew up in a small country town, didn't know anything about mm. hair or makeup, didn't know, you know, what dresses I was supposed to wear or anything. So it was very overwhelming, but I'm very glad I did it now. And so it was second semester, first year of uni, and I just applied for any pageant that was open at the time. 
I didn't really know much about them, didn't even know they were like a big thing anymore. I'd heard about Miss Universe, but mainly because of when um that Miss Crowning happened with Miss Philippines. Oh, um, the, um, <laughs> what, the, the, yeah, the Steve Harvey moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Miss Earth um, reached out to me um, as a late entrance. So I had about one month to prepare everything for that pageant. So I wore my high school graduation dress for my evening gown. I, you know, hired all of my clothes. For talent, I quickly wrote a song on the guitar and just like performed that for it. Um, and so then I went over and I competed. I wasn't expecting anything. I remember even calling my mum and being like, oh, don't bother coming up to Wollongong because it's like six hours away from where my family is, right? So I'm like, no, don't bother coming up. Like, I haven't prepared for this at all. I've just been thrust in, but I'm just doing it for self-growth, you know? And then they were watching the Facebook Live. And then one by one, I was like, okay, top 10, top five, until it was the top four. And then I was there holding hands with Susanna who won that night but I'm like oh my gosh like what have I gotten myself into um I had exams the next week so I'm like I cannot win this like I have to study I wasn't expecting this um but then obviously um it was all a really great experience and I was bitten by the pageant bug and so now I have been crowned again Miss Earth Air Australia or Miss Miss Earth Australia Air I should say um, again, last year when it was just the runners up, all of us competed. So it was just air, um, uh, water and charity. We all competed and I got air again. Um, yeah. And so that was sort of my introduction into the pageant world. And ever since then, I've been immersed in it and my view of it has expanded so much. Like I didn't realize how much it was still a big thing on the global scale, especially in like mm. the Philippines and Venezuela and countries like that. It's amazing. What was it about pageantry in particular that got you hooked? I mean, I know that you do a lot of modelling, so obviously there's that component being on stage, getting glammed up, which, you know, most girls love. You got your hair done beautifully today. Um, what was it in particular that hooked you about pageantry? I think definitely, especially in terms of the Miss Earth pageantry, is I myself am very, very, very passionate about the conservation of the environment. Like my university degree I'm currently studying is global sustainability and politics. I'm doing a double degree in that. So obviously it's um, something that I feel like I align with and something that I want to do later in my career as well in terms of something along the lines of, you know, preservation of the earth and all of mm. that jazz. But definitely in terms of pageants, it was the opportunity, I think, to be able to have that platform to talk about these more wider issues because in my mind, the only way that you could do that previously before pageants became apparent to me was that you'd get into politics, which I want to do one day. But obviously right now, being 21, it's not quite my time yet. Um, <laughs> not quite the time for that. Uh, still have to finish uni and have some world experience. But this, I feel like, was a great sort of precursor to that because to me, pageants and yeah. politics are very similar in terms of how you campaign yourself. Like you have to have a message that you stand behind. You have to advertise yourself. You have to get your message out there. And then overall, whoever, you know, performed the best or got the most votes wins. And then you are the face and you have to advocate for a whole year. And so to me, it's sort of nearly like uh, a not a practice round because I do believe pageants are very hands-on and very in their own space yeah. as well but it's sort of like I get to have a taste of what that is 
Um, and at the same time, you've got the fun elements to it still, like evening gown and swimwear and getting all glammed up. So that's sort of what hooked me. What What is your favourite round, just out of curiosity? Look, I love the question and answer round just because I love hearing what other girls say and I love talking about it. But at the same time, that's also the round that I'm most like, like my heart beats the most. I don't even remember what I answered for some of the questions from 2019 and 2020. Um, but that's definitely the round I love watching the most. Uh, competing right. in, I think, evening gown um, because I do also love a pretty gown. And I really love gowns with stories behind them. So, for example, Catriona Gray at Miss Philippines, um, her lava gown and how that had the story behind it with the Philippines and then Miss Earth, um, Miss Earth, I think it's air or water, Roxy. Her, she had a green gown and just recently, and that Filipino was also, yeah, and that was also like a, a relationship with the Philippines landscape as well. So I would love to do that if I have a chance to compete internationally as well to have something that really connects to Australia because I feel like there's so much beautiful landscape in Australia that you could use as inspiration as well. Let me let me ask you on the line of gowns and Miss Earth and then fast fashion. Mm. I've been doing a little bit of I, I know nowhere near as much as people such as yourself, Brittany, Susanna, um, but I've been fascinated with a, with this idea of fast fashion um, and greenwashing and people thinking that they're supporting a sustainable brand when you look behind the scenes, they're really not, and not just in terms of environmental sustainability they're falling down, but sometimes they're abusing their employees or not paying them properly. And then obviously when it comes to the highest levels of pageantry, and Miss Earth is definitely one of those, when you're competing at that level, you almost always want to have your own unique gown. So it's very rarely mm -hmm. going to be secondhand, and in fact it's custom-made, and sometimes it's shipped all around the world. Where where do you see the balance in between, okay, let's say if you were to compete internationally, obviously you want a stunning gown. And then on the other hand, there's this fast fashion and the environmental sustainability. It seems to me it's very difficult to know where to draw that line. I have actually been doing some research into it for if, so for example, I'd love to join Miss Earth Australia again and compete. So I've already begun doing research into that in terms of evening gown, because that is definitely a really large component. Um, mm. And there definitely are, like if I do it, I definitely would love an Australian designer. And yeah. I, there are definitely brands out there already that I've been researching that their focus is sustainability. And so they'll use natural materials or they'll recycle materials. Um, and even now there's like technology, for example, where you can, you know, use plastic water bottles and make that into material as well. Um, for when I did Miss Earth in 2019 and 2020, I hired a lot of my gowns and a lot of my clothes that I wore. And that is definitely something that I want to continue doing if I joined Miss Earth again, because I, you know, I, I would feel a bit silly if I was advocating one thing and they're not doing it, you know, like yeah. um, feel like a bit of hypocrisy. So for that, I would definitely research very, very thoroughly into who I'd want to design my gown and I'd make sure that we're on the same page with collaboration in terms of, okay, how can we produce a gown that has the least carbon footprint and can be the most sustainable? Even if like, for example, they might've already had a gown and then we can just alter that a bit 
or add some things on and then we can reuse those materials later, for example, that would be the path that I would go down. And you obviously still wanted to look a million bucks as well. So (laughs) it it definitely adds to... I mean, you could make a statement. You could walk out in like a trash bag or like with like, you know, trash all taken from the ocean and sew that all together. I reckon that would be awesome. Maybe I'll do that. That would be fun. Okay, you, you, you definitely could do that. Um, but, but, but I love the fact, I mean, it is, as you said, hypocrisy if you're advocating for one thing and then obviously wearing something that completely contradicts it. Um, I mean, on that note, when I interviewed Brittany, I asked her where her love for the environment came from. And I, I know from behind the scenes that not every girl who's in Miss Earth, I'm not talking about Miss Earth Australia, but just in general, this is a general pageant statement. Not everyone who's talking about their advocacy is actually passionate about it. They're just yeah. doing it because it's they have to, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I know for you, obviously, environmental sustainability is very core to who you are. So where did yeah. that start for, for you? I'd say it probably was fostered and began when I was about, I think I was 9 or 10, and my family and I were living in Melbourne at the time, and we bought a camper trailer, rented out our house and travelled around Australia for 14 months living in the camper trailer and being homeschooled. I have two younger brothers. So me, my two younger brothers and my parents travelled around Australia um, and we got to explore all these really beautiful and amazing um, environments within Australia as well as the amazing people, you could say. And being, you know, doing that and having that experience, I didn't appreciate it, I think, at the time, because obviously when you're that age, oh, I want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But now looking back on it, I really am very appreciative of it. And it's such a unique experience to be able to do that. And so that really, as I said, introduced me to a lot of our beautiful environment. We didn't get to, I say around Australia, we didn't get to WA because I wanted to come back before high school. I didn't want to be the new girl. So I'm like, no, we have to go back, you know. (laughs) So we cut that short, but that's definitely where it fostered. And then obviously, um, as I got older in high school, social media, you see a lot of uh, you know, things on your feed. And I was very, very interested in environmental sustainability because I also grew up, after we came back from our trip around, we moved to a small country town in the Southern Riverina. That's where my mum grew up. And so I did high school there. And so you're surrounded by nature constantly. And, you know, mm. you've got farmers and you've got creeks and ecosystems and everything. And, you know, you can't not appreciate it and you can't not realise the impact that things have on it. And so I remember even I was so passionate about it at one stage. <laughs> I used to work at the IGA in town and I, when it was really, really slow, I'd go around and I'd make a list of all the things that I could buy that wouldn't p- produce any waste or that was in a glass jar because obviously there was only one IGA there and that was all yeah. for your grocery shopping. That's all you had to choose from and everything was covered in plastic or everything was like, from ages and ages away. So the only thing that I could eat besides fresh fruit and vegetables was asparagus and olives pretty much. That's all I could have. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously I can't live like that. Um, Now that I'm in Wollongong, I obviously have places like the Source Bulk Foods where you can go and fill things up. But, yeah, obviously growing up in that environment was sort of where it really fostered, I guess, and where my love for it grew. And then obviously now I'm studying at a university, so it continues. I mean. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be not only getting homeschooled, but getting homeschooled and traveling around in kind of like a camper van for, for that long. 
did you did you fall in love with any particular scenery? I mean, I've not seen, for example, the, the outback of Australia, really. I haven't been to Alice Springs, Darwin. I've been to Perth, but only the city and not the outback. Mm-hmm. Do you love the outback more? Is it the bush, as our international guests think of? It's just one bush. Is it the <laughs> ocean? Is it the beach? I mean, there, there's so many different sceneries you must have seen. Was there any particular one that you just went, this is me? There was there was so so many. It's hard to pick just one in particular. In terms of where I'd want to live, I think I'm definitely more of an ocean person. But mm-hmm. there is so much more beautiful things in Australia that aren't that. And I feel like a lot of the time Australians especially don't even know our own landscape. We always seem to go to other Sorry. countries to explore beautiful landscapes, but they don't realise how much amazing things we have right here. Like I remember one time we were camped on like this salt lake, like just next to it. Obviously you can't actually camp on the lake, but we woke up to the sunrise and cause it's all just like this white, really fine salt sand and the sunrise coming up and it was really reflected on it. And it was magical. And we were like only ones there. It was freezing cold. There was frost as well, but it was just so beautiful. And there were definitely many, many places that I fell in love with on the trip. One of them especially was a place called Dalhousie Springs and Lorella Springs. Right. Dalhousie Springs is this massive, massive pool of water, like a lake. You could say it's a lake yeah. and it's a hot spring. And so you wake up early in the morning and you can see above the trees all the um, the steam coming steam. off it because it's yeah. just, yeah, because it's that warm. It's like a bath and you can like swim around in it and it's like you're swimming in a massive bath. And then Lorella Springs was very similar. It was a massive camping site and there were hot springs running through it. And I remember me and my brothers would made some friends there because you do that when you're camping. You just introduce yourself to random people and you're like, okay, yeah. we're friends now. Uh, <laughs> we'd sit there with the pool noodles with our cans of Solo or Coke or lemonade. And you just, it was so relaxing and it was so out of the way. Except the problem was you really had to prepare for that because the closer shops were like kilometers away. So milk mm-hmm. at the place there cost like $10 because it was crazy expensive, but it was so, so beautiful. And there was, um, they owned like thousands of acres around it and you could go and travel and see waterfalls or other hot springs or other natural landscapes. And honestly, especially during COVID times, any Australians watching book for tourism activities and book for holidays within Australia and not just mm-hmm. like the usual places like the Gold Coast or I don't know what the other ones are, but book for like more out of the way places because there it's going to be so much more beautiful in terms of nature because it hasn't been impacted so much. Well, I've lived on the Gold Coast and I, I think you got to go there once, but after that it, it's kind of like postcardy, touristy, been there, done that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to want to go to Melbourne out of choice after everything <laughs> that's been happening in Melbourne. The earthquake? Oh, like, what? <laughs> I feel so sorry for for the Victorians. I had a friend message me going, it's apocalyptic here. I mean, after everything that's happened and then an earthquake, she said it's like Victoria is trying to shake itself free of or Australia is trying to get rid of Victoria by shaking it off. But um, the hot springs, obviously they need, how did they get hot? Because normally it's um, volcanic activity, isn't it? So how were these hot springs heated? I'm not entirely sure. I was told when I was there, but that was like 12 years ago now. Um, But I think it's like something to do with like it was in the Northern Territory or Queensland but closer to the Northern Territory side. I'm pretty sure that's where they were. And it was something to do with 
there was some sort of soil under the land and that because there was water under that soil and it would heat up. Don't take my word for oh, that, wow. but basically that's how it was. But there's a lot of hot springs like in that general area. Um, yeah. But they were amazing. I would definitely, I like if I could, I'd go back there in a heartbeat, um, but it is camping ground. So you have to have all your camping stuff. Um, right. <laughs> there's no I special would... fancy shacks or anything that you can stay in. Yeah, I, I, no, I would love to to do something like that because, as you said, I mean, it's going to be a while probably before we can travel internationally easily anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think it's just us Aussies. I think a lot of people are guilty of they travel more overseas and when they're overseas, you know, when you're international, you, you want to make the most out of every moment. So you're literally yeah. going around everywhere. But when we're kind of home, we're a little bit lazy. So we don't yeah. go around to see all the beautiful things in our backyard. But, but I'd love to see it. Um, when I was in school, here's the thing, because obviously you've travelled around outside a lot, camping, proper camping. We had a camp, I think it was for year seven, and the camping was there were no toilets. You had to dig a, dig a trench for, you know, and <laughs> the first night it rained. The hotel was supposed to be six people in there, uh, the hotel, the, the tent had six of us in there. It was leaking. There was water coming in through the the... the and then when I was abseiling, it started hailing. So, but you see, I, I say, I say that's true camping. So for someone such as yourself, who's been around Australia, you know, roughing it for 16 months or whatever it was, what's your opinion on glamping? You know, when, when you go and you say, oh, I'm camping, but you're in a ho like a five-star hotel and you wake up, you have your <laughs> continental breakfast, your bacon and eggs. Does that really count as camping? Because I don't think it does. What's your opinion? I think there are definitely stages to glamping. And don't get me wrong, I love a good glamp. And actually, it took me a long time to want to camp again after doing it for 14 months. Whenever someone's like, oh, let's go. I'm like, no, no, give me a house and four walls. I do not want to be in a tent again. Like, because we have to like set it up every night. It was one of those ones on the table yeah. and it'd like fold out, you know. So we'd have to set it up every night, pack it away every morning. Um, so look, definitely if someone offered to pay for me to go glamping with it, I would like, yes, let's go. But I think if it doesn't have, it can have four walls, like it has to have four walls, but they must be material, like tent material. You can have a bed in there with a frame. Don't mind that. You can have like a sink. Don't mind that. Electricity, sure. But if it's got like concrete or like material walls that aren't tent material or like you don't have to get a zip to go in there, if it's got an actual door, that's not, you're just in a room. You're in a room in there. Like that's okay. just a house. <laughs> you okay. have to have uh, a zip. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do we sit, so to speak, on the toilet issue? Are we allowed to have proper flushing toilets or do we need to I think, dig? I think you, you definitely can have proper flushing toilets, but they have to be like <laughs> a toilet block. It can't be in your in your tent vicinity. It has to be somewhere else. You have to walk to it like proper camping. <laughs> okay. Sounds like, sounds like I've just been a bit too hardcore and judgmental of the whole glamping. Um, here's a question. <laughs> Australia is going to open up sooner, hopefully rather than later, back to international tourists. So if there was, a, say, a pageant girl that's going to come over here because everyone wants to visit Australia, I don't know if it's yeah, they want to run away place. from their own... I know, but I don't know. But I think it's half they want to come here and it's also half of them are trying to run away from their own countries because during COVID, it's their countries have just fallen apart. They're like, I need to get out of my country. Let's go to Australia. So here's a really interesting question. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Where would you take them? Because obviously, you know, I'm in Sydney, you go Harbour Bridge, Opera House, you have a, a drink by the by the harbour, and it's beautiful. I'd never mm -hmm. stop doing that. But what are some more of the out-of-the-ways, like hidden gems 
that you'd recommend um, international tourists have to go and see? Assuming I have unlimited budget and a private jet so that we can go places real quickly. Um, yeah, okay. I would, yeah, because Australia is massive, right? If you drive, you're going to be spending more than half your time driving to places. Um, but I would definitely take them, first of all, to Uluru. Um, even though it's still like a popul popular destination, I feel like it's not quite as popular as like the Great Barrier Reef and stuff. And you really sure. do get to connect with our Indigenous peoples because I feel like there's very much a disconnect still. Um, I also do Indigenous studies, so it's like, oh, passionate. Um, <laughs> mm. But definitely take them there because it is really stunning, especially from sunrise to sunset, how much the colour changes because I've, I've been there when we travelled around. So definitely there. And then definitely to Lorella Springs. Um, if I had yeah. to pick between that and Dalhousie, I'd love both. You know what, we'll say both. Definitely those two. Um, I would also love to take them uh, to where I grew up, which is the Southern Riverina. It's not touristy in the slightest, except for the fact that where I grew up in Drilldry, Ned Kelly robbed a bank there. So he's the reason we're on the map, pretty much. Um, Ned Kelly, for those of you who don't know, is um, an Australian bush ranger. He was like the Robin Hood of Australia, I guess you could say. Um, he's a thief. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, only in Australia would we have a thief as a national hero. I mean, we're all convicts, right? So it sort of makes yeah, sense yeah. when you think about it. <laughs> Staying on yep. land. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would love to take them to the Riverina because I feel like that really shows, obviously there's plenty of places similar to the Riverina, but obviously that's where I grew up, so I've got that connection. Um, I feel like that really shows the Australian heart and you can really see the history mm. there because a lot of farmers are there and that's obviously um, Australia, like farming is one of our massive things. You don't really hear about it that often, but it's super important um, here. Yeah. And so I take them there because we've got the Billabong Creek running through there, which is the largest creek in Australia. And the different ecosystems within that are just so beautiful, especially in summer. I'd take them in summer because you can swim in it and there's mm. this jump tree where you like jump off a tree into the water, which is amazing fun, would recommend. Can't wait to go back and do that when summertime comes back here. Um, but, yeah, just to really see what the small town is like because I feel yeah. like a lot of people come and they go to the big cities which is fantastic I love our cities but I feel like the true essence of like Australian is like small towns and the community that you there I take them to like one of the local pubs that hasn't been like you know renovated for 50 years and I'd take them to the local raffles and all of that because I think that would just be such a unique experience and then you could actually also hear the proper like bogan Australian farmer accent as well I reckon that would be wonderful I would love to introduce someone to that well the the, the local raffles what do they what do they give away as prizes at these local raffles um so it's usually at the pub and my grandpa my pop is notorious for winning them. Um, <laughs> I don't know how, but every Friday they'd have a meat raffle. And so I'd be like the local, the local butchers would, you know, <laughs> donate and everyone would, you know, go to the pub, buy, buy beers, buy a raffle ticket. And my, um, my grandparents actually had to buy a big freezer because he'd just keep coming home with these meat trays, you know, because it'd be there, you know, pretty much every day. And um, it's just really, it's a really different vibe and a different community in the countries compared to the cities. And so yeah. I'd definitely love to take them to one of those country towns for that. Well, when when we have internationals kind of open up properly into Australia, I might have to hit you up be, for, for ideas yeah. because there are a lot of international pageant contestants that want to visit Australia. 
And I just love for them to see the real heart of the country, not just the touristy stuff. And to be fair, yeah. like Sydney, Melbourne, Australia in general is beautiful. So I don't want them yeah. to not see like the no, Opera House course. and the Harbour Bridge. <laughs> but there's just more, there's so much more to it than um, what, as you mentioned. And the thing is, I haven't really seen any of that. I mean, I've, I've been to places like the Hunter Valley and things like that, mm. but not into the the proper the place like the places that you've mentioned. Um, Sheridan, we talked about the environmental advocacy. You said that you, you're passionate about the environment. You're, going, you're thinking about going into politics. Um, when it comes to to these issues, I mean, some of them are pretty, a lot of them are very prickly, thorny, um, and, you know, climate change and climate change deniers, and I can't do anything about it because the big companies, it's their fault. What could I possibly do as one person? This is a conversation I have again and again. It's like, well, I couldn't do anything, so why should I bother? So yeah. in terms of the difference that one person can do, from, I mean, from your perspective, whether it's environment or getting into politics, where, what are your thoughts on people who say, oh, I'm only one person, so nothing I do will ever make a difference? To those people, I would say, look, you're not technically wrong. If it's just one person doing something, then yes, no difference will be made. But where you really need to, what you really need to be aware of, I guess, is that this is a problem that does affect everybody and your individual actions per se will not create a big difference. But if we all together collectively come together to, for, so for example, let me tell you a statistic. Um, mm -hmm. Only about 90 companies produce 63% of the world's emissions. And this is often the case where these bigger corporations and companies are producing so many emissions. And it's like, if they, if like five companies changed their values or the way mm. they run things, then emissions would be greatly reduced. And I don't really believe in individual carbon footprint that was made by big corporations to shift blame off themselves and onto the consumer. And mm -hmm. I think that often, especially with things like the zero waste movement, people are hesitant to even get into them because it's very not judgmental. What's zero waste? Zero, I mean, it's literally yeah, you have to waste. be zero. It's, it's very, um, it, they've made it a competition, you know. It's like we don't yeah. need... You know, I'm sure you've seen that quote, we don't need a thousand perfect environmentalists. We need a thousand people trying their best to be environmentally friendly yeah. sort of thing, or imperfect environmentalists. And so I think what we really need to focus on is instead so much, I feel like we're very focused on ourselves and our own carbon footprint mm -hmm. and our own waste. And that can get very tiring, especially if you feel like by doing that all by yourself, you feel like you're fighting the whole world. You're like, I'm doing all yeah. of this. And then, you know, Susan is coming into Woolworths with her plastic grocery bags and doesn't she know how much I'm doing to help save the planet and she can't even bring in a bag and then that's where we're getting like this really us versus them mentality which yeah. isn't productive and it's really not going to do much in the big change in the long term because obviously we're yeah. saying well if everyone just stops plastic straws great but the reality is that not everyone is going to stop plastic straws and that can be mm. applied to anything plastic bags fast fashion, etc. Of course. I think what we need to do for those people that are like, one person won't change everything is like, yes, okay, we hear you. But this is what can be done. Um, and this is the pressure that we can put on these organisations or on the government to make change. And if we can all get together and put pressure on them to do that, 
then they can implement policies or they can make changes that will have a much larger effect than if 20 people of are course. first environmentalists, for example. So I think that's really where yeah. we need to head. And I'm very, very tired also of environmental shaming where people are trying their best to do things or they're environmental advocates, advocates for example, on social media. Mm. And then they use like they've got a plastic cup in their story one time and then everyone's like, ah, cancel them, you know, they're not true environmentalists. Blah, blah. It's like, guys, like, come on, we shouldn't be attacking this poor You're going man. to need trigger warnings for plastic soon. <laughs> It's going to have trigger warning. This video contains plastic. Plastic, literally. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the response, I guess, in a roundabout way that I would say um, to those yep. people. It's like, yes, you're correct, but doesn't mean you shouldn't do nothing. Here's what we can do instead. Okay, let, let, let me just pose you a difficult question. Well, not difficult. It's kind of complicated. <laughs> the, the companies will say we are just giving the population, you guys, what you want. Because you, a lot of people, they're struggling financially and a lot of the times the environmental, um, the, the products that are not so good for the environment, unfortunately, happen to be cheaper. Not necessarily because they are cheaper, but they may have been subsidized. For example, coal and corn in the U United States is subsidized hugely by the government. Um, so the companies are just going to say, well, it's not our fault. You guys are buying it. If you guys didn't buy it, we wouldn't make it. And then the consumers, as you say, are going, oh, well, we're just, I'm just one person. They're making it anyway. So, look, it's already been made. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. Um, so where where's the solution to that? Is that where politics comes in? I mean, is that why you got into politics? I mean, where where's the solution going to be where basically both people are like, we're not, it's not our fault. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. the other person's fault. Uh, so with that, first of all, I'd like to just announce that in sustainability and that movement is very um it's very like an economic thing as well it's a, not a, not a class yeah. thing what's the word i'm trying to find like people in poverty financial. Or people that are, yeah financial that's it um it's a, like very if you're able to do those environmentally hmm. friendly things you are in a much better financial position than those who can't and You're often privileged. those yeah privilege you know it is a privilege to be able to do that hmm. um and those who can't afford you know those things, zero waste things and have to buy those things yeah. in plastic, no shame at all should be put on them. And they should still be able to have access to those products, those necessities like food and yeah. everything else of that course. comes back from plastic. At the problem starts, I think, is when organisations or companies are creating things that are either not needed or not essential or that can be done sustainably, but they don't want to because they create more profit off it. Um, so, for example, there's a <laughs> get political on you now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No, no I, I would like to do that because normally we have to stay away from politics. Yeah, um, I'm not going to get too hard into it because still I have the title, so you know, pageant yeah, and of course. But, but I mean, the, what, what the what the companies will say because especially. The big companies that you mentioned, I'm going to assume most of them are public, which means they have shareholders. The shareholders invest in the company because they want to make money. Mm. If the company makes a decision that's environmentally friendly but sinks their profit, very mm. often the stock market, their shares go down, yeah. and then the stockholders are going, why, why are you doing this? We want our money. <laughs> yeah. This is why I think it's such a complicated issue. It is. Look, it's very, it is a very complicated issue. The whole environmental, where should we go? What are the next steps? You could talk about it 
for years and we have already yeah. like we've known about it for so long and we still haven't been able to come with any like hard fast quick solutions because there is none there's no quick solution yeah. which is why it's so time sensitive that we do things as soon as we can because we won't see mm. the effects of them for many many years exactly. and so the thing i think that frustrates me the most about all these environmentally environmental talks is that money is important obviously money right now is what makes our world go round but mm. people are always placing so much importance on money and on like stocks and on oh but that company will lose money if this happens like and i'm not talking about small companies i'm talking about the big businesses that have the power and the resources to be able to do these things yeah. um they always put so much energy and time on money and making profit but what people don't realize is all of these resources that they're using to make this money will disappear very quickly if we mm. don't do things to replenish them. And it won't matter how much money you have if we're running out of oxygen, if we're running out of places to live, if sea levels are rising, if, you know, it's, you really got to step away and look at, okay, what really is most important and obviously, when you do implement things, you want to make sure that you're not going to do it too quickly so that the like people in poverty get even worse into poverty and things yeah. like that. But I guess talking about the top 1%, like we've got billionaires now, which is insane. And there's yeah. statistics out there where if billionaires just like gave X amount of money to this, then we could really like, I think right now, I think they said that back in you know, Marie Antoinette's time, the divide is just like that right now between the rich and the poor, which is insane, but we just don't really see it that much. That, that wouldn't surprise me. The, the divide between the rich and the poor is getting bigger in almost yeah. every advanced like Western country, and I'm fairly certain in COVID it's gotten even worse. And then because of the rate of technological acceleration where people who know how to use tech, they have a huge advantage, whereas people who are probably, let's say, not that lucky, they don't know those skills and they're being replaced by robots, automation and cheaper labour countries. That that divide, I think, is only going to get bigger. So we do need the the people who are fortunate enough, and I'm sure they've worked hard as well. I'm not saying you know it's yeah. all just they're lucky, but we do need them to lead the way. Otherwise nothing is ever going to change. Yes. There's, for example, there's some policies that are um, proposed at the moment, such as a mm -hmm. carbon tax, which we tried to implement in Australia a while ago, but then the big mining companies were like, actually, we're going to advertise that as being bad so that we can get more money. So Australia, you're going to hate it now. Yeah. And then yeah. politicians changed and got kicked out. Um, but anyway, that's enough for that. We won't go too deep into that. But um, so this carbon tax is where um, if you go over a certain amount of um, pollution in your company, you have to pay a certain amount of money. And because it's still got that yeah. like, money incentive, then people, companies will try to reduce their emissions so they don't have to pay that extra bit for going over yeah. the limit. And so I think that's something that we should really look at implementing. And as well as um, we just had the, I think it's the IPCC, I think that's what it was, the IPBC report come out just earlier this year, which mm -hmm. is the International Panel on Climate Change. And I remember Scott Morrison, um, who's our current prime minister, was talking about how China's got more emissions than Australia. So therefore, you know, why is Australia getting all the blame? But the thing is that a lot of our companies are based in China. So when we mm. make things, we're making them in China and China's the one that's having all those emissions, and then we don't right. get the blame in Australia, even though it's our stuff Got that it. they're making. 
And so it really does need to be a big international effort. Like obviously we've got countries that are doing much better than others in terms of climate change. Australia mm. could be doing much better, but it really does need to be an international global effort. And I think that's why it's been so stagnant and hard to make much change because obviously even in the best of times, it's very hard to get your own nation to agree on things, let alone international nations to all agree on things. Yeah. I don't look, know if that made it confuse you. <laughs> no. Very heavy subject, no, but, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's very important. Well, I know it's very important. I, I mean, just final question on, on the politics of it. I mean, without yeah. going into the in, individual like policies that we could implement, it's... Oh, no, you're frozen. Um, I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> and we're back. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, great. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's just me. It seems to me one of the really big issues, and this is not just Australia, but let's say, you know, you're young, idealistic, and let's say you want to aim for the highest office in the country, prime minister, and you go, when I get there, I'm going to implement these, these, these policies, and that'll completely rev revolutionize and save the world sort of thing. The issue that seems that strikes me is that in order to get to that office, you need to make like deals with the devil, so to speak. Like in order to get there, you need your lobby groups, you need this, you need that. And very often the people with the biggest bucks are the oil companies, uh, the electricity companies, the farming companies. And then you might be talking about, hey, thank you for supporting me. I'm going to implement this policy that's going to cost you money. And even though it's good for the world, it's going to hit you in the hip pockets. They're not going to like that. Have you given any thought to how you're going to deal with that if you do go into politics? Like, how do you stick to your ideals whilst acknowledging I need the support of some of these really, really big companies, some of the ones that might be the, in the top 90 that you were talking about? If anyone is interested in this, I highly recommend reading um, the quarterly essay called Climate's Resource uh, Challenge or Resource Future. Um, that's, first of all, if you would like to learn more about that, read mm. that. Um, but in terms of what you're saying, any prime minister in our past that has tried to implement anything like that has been kicked out of office because That's a lot the of the, the big miners and the big oil companies all have a small hand in a lot of the politicians' pockets. Yep. Um, and so, for example, we had, for example, Rudd, who's one of our prime ministers, mm -hmm. when he was in, he tried to implement two or three things think one of them got through two of them were knocked back by the mining industry because the mining industry has enough money to spread exactly. advertisements and spread yeah. scare campaigns I guess you could say and so it turns everyone against him and then obviously the popularity goes down and then bam a turnover for people who don't follow Australian politics which I imagine is probably a lot of people it's not that interesting um we've had a very very high turnovers of our prime ministers currently because <laughs> of opinion yeah. polls especially the media is definitely playing a large part in that um and so you know even like when we had Julia Gillard she tried to implement things and then that was kicked back um and they were both Labor and then Liberal also Malcolm Turnbull tried to implement things and that's against that party's values, I guess you could say, yeah. liberal is not what In they're known yep. for. And mm -hmm. he was kicked out of his own party. Like the party, in his, the people in his party were like, that's not what we stand for, you know, even though mm. people on the outside know if they're environmentally aware, know that we really do need these implements, um, these policies yeah. implemented. And so it yeah. is really hard when you feel like you're battling, you know, all these high 
powerful people. I have no idea how I would do that yet when I get in because I'm not planning to get in for at least another 10 years. And so who knows mm-hmm. what will have changed by then and now. But I definitely, I definitely don't want to have to ever do that. And of course, you have to like, okay, well, if I do this, if that's for the better good, blah, blah, blah. But hopefully yeah. by 10 years from now, there has to be some sort of change where that won't even need to be talked about because they would have realized the severity. And we're definitely getting a lot of international pressure now from other countries mm-hmm. because Australia is doing quite poorly on that front, um, which is funny right. because we've got so much beautiful things to protect here. Um, <laughs> but we are definitely getting lots more international pressure. So if it's not going to be our own, you know, if it's if we're having all these conflicts within ourselves, soon there's going to be overbearing, you know, other countries that will be saying, look, this isn't good enough. If you don't fix something, you're banned from global trade or something, you know, something will happen, I'm sure. Yeah. It, it, it's comes back to the money, um, the money question, the importance that our society places on money when mining companies won't spend that money on environment, things that will help the environment, but they will spend that money in advertising and scare campaigns. And And here's the thing. I just, I just want to say mining isn't, bad per se i know that's like controversial among the ego thing but we still need things from mining to create oh, stuff, 100%. Such as solar panels yeah. such as hydro wind turbines we still need those things we still need those resources it's just that when you extract all those things and you don't do it sustainably and you use it for things that aren't eco-friendly that's when the problem mm. comes in so i we definitely still need mining companies and we definitely need um, those resources, but it needs to be done in a much more sustainable manner. Of course. Yeah, it's not just the mining companies. I think there are big companies oh, in companies. every industry who uh, are doing a lot to protect their profit margins rather than maybe doing the right thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Amazon. It's much um, easier to do that. It's, I understand why they do it. And a lot of the people that own these companies or that aren't putting these policies through are usually much older. So I guess for them, mm. it's like, well, I'm not going to be here when that's a problem. So why would I care if I can make money now and have a great time? <laughs> Look, I, 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 I don't know about you, <laughs> but I don't think I could ever accept myself like adopting that belief. I mean, it's just so selfish. I mean, I don't have kids, but I mean, you know, some of these people have kids and, you know, the world's going to be around even after you've left. It doesn't end with you. Um, I mean, like, for example, with Amazon and the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, went into space, and that costs obviously some amount of money. Um, and then there were all these people protesting because Amazon employees weren't getting paid what they should be paid and being overworked. And it's yeah. just those sorts of things that in society, I mean, because we're talking about politics, it's just like... Yeah. We need leadership from politicians. And I think politics over the last 10, 20 years um, has become a lot more relevant to the younger demographic because they've seen what happens if they don't take an interest, whereas like 20 years ago, a lot of people probably, including myself, kind of ignored it. And then we saw what happened when we ignore it and it wasn't good. So now we're becoming (laughs) much more educated about it. I mean, I'd be fascinated to know just in your degree, what's like, what's the gender balance and what's the average age? I mean, it's going to be young because it's in university, but the general demographics. (laughs) Um, I only started doing my politics. I was 
I mainly studied global sustainability for the first two years. I'm in my third year now and I only was able to be in one class for politics. The rest has been online, so I don't know what the demographic is for that. Oh, right. But okay. for the class when I was in line, it was actually quite a 50-50 split, um, which I, nice. I was expecting there to be more men as well. But I feel like a lot of mm. the time as it goes on, I feel like you would start to drop off the female participation rate, especially because right now, also for people who might not know, um, in Australian politics has um, been some very large cases recently in terms of sexual assault and workplace mm. harassment and the um, the behaviour towards women in politics. And I've 100%. actually just bought, I bought a book by um, Miss Ellis, who was a former member of parliament called, I think it was Sex, Lies and Education Time, and it's her new book that just came out, and it's fantastic. It's all about women in Australian politics specifically and the culture right. around it. So I would really recommend to anyone interested as well. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like there also needs to be – and then there's, like, things like that, right, like women in politics mm. and stuff. It's a whole other entity in itself, but everything in politics is so connected. Like, everything we mm. do is political in a way. Like, people don't of course. believe it, but it, it, every decision you make really is – it has politics involved because politics is how we yeah. <laughs> rule the world. Well, we're, we're, we're all going to be affected by it, whether yeah. we take an interest in it or not. Yeah, it's going to happen exactly. to you. So you, yeah. you might as well be educated about it. In fact, you've just reminded me on that subject of our female politicians and some of the horrible things that allegedly have happened. Um, there was a really good documentary. I can't remember whether it was on ABC or SBS. I need to look it up. It had people like Julia Gillard, Penny Wong, yeah, the um, some other. The girl that interviewed them was the girl that wrote this book. Oh, okay. I yeah. need to watch that because I'd be fascinated to see it, regardless of the politics, just the way that some of those women speak. Like I have huge respect for Gillard and Penny Wong, just mm -hmm. the way they're able to sort of confront the, the, their male, not, they're not oppressors, but it takes <laughs> guts when you're in the minority. Yeah. And as a woman, as you would well know, similar in pageantry, the parallels, it's not exactly the same, but mm -hmm. just to stand up for what you believe in and not worry about, oh, you're going to be told you know, losing, people don't like you or losing popularity, but doing it because you think it's the right thing. And I love seeing it when someone has integrity um, and you go integrity in politics. What are you talking about? What? Well, you do, you do. I mean, I, not, I mean, what's the point of, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't want to go into it if you didn't think you could have integrity. I mean, yeah. and that that has to be something that changes. Look, anyway, that's a lot about politics. Um, I'm sure this will be a very is, specific podcast, but only like a very minute amount of people will start talking politics. I'll click off. <laughs> I, I think I you'd be surprised, it. though. I, 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 think, I think, as I said, I think a lot of the younger generation are becoming fascinated in politics. I mean, look. You're what, 21? And you're yes. fascinated in politics? <laughs> I remember I did um, work in year 10, we do work experience. So for two weeks, yeah. um, in two separate weeks, we get to do that. And I remember being like, Mom, I want to do work experience at Parliament House, but would they even let me do that? And she's like, Well, you could just phone them and give them a ring. And so I did. And then I did work <laughs> experience at Parliament House in Canberra on the House of Representatives oh for a whole week. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. I was in a different faction every day. And I got to sit down in the House of Reps, you know, where they sit yeah. and have their question time. And it was amazing. And then the second week, I actually got to go around with a member of Parliament on their campaign trail and see how she did everything. Oh, and wow. To all the interviews and see all the people and do her outings. And it was awesome. And I'm like, yes, this is definitely what I want to do. I used to work in, in a girl's high school and, you know, the, the work experience was it's kind of a joke. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to 
my friend's mum's shop and, you know, I'm just going to bring <laughs> coffee. So I'm going to go Baker's Delight. Nothing against Baker's Delight. They have awesome scones. No, I'm just going to go there. I won't have to do anything. I'll just sit there and not have to work. And I just that's such a wasted opportunity because, you know, the education system is another thing that we could probably rant about for a long time. But education seems to be lagging behind in terms of where it needs to aim at to be relevant. So mm-hmm. I thought work experience is the one thing where you can get practical hands on, like this is what's going, you're yes. going to have to do when you come out of school, girls, is go and get a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, know, you know, eventually you're going to have to get work for a living. You can't just be TikTok famous, Instagram famous. Do you think people could um, do work experience with influencers now? Do you think that's the thing that could happen? <laughs> Do you think that's a good idea? Do you, have, have haven't no you idea. seen the number of things that have influencers have been doing during COVID and you just look at it and you go, oh, oh my, oh my God. <laughs> and then, you know, like our country brought in, I can't remember the name, that, that person to appear, I think it was on Big Brother. She was from the UK. She's very outspoken, like ultra right wing, I think. And then she came to Australia and she... No, I don't either, but she, yeah. she was just a heinous person and she came to Australia and she started bragging about how she wasn't following any of the quarantine rules um, on her Instagram, like live. And so we kicked her out again. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they kicked her out again. They literally kicked her out again because she was that stupid. Um, and I'm just like, hang on, you can bring someone like that in, yet we have how many people still stranded overseas from COVID, yet you can bring that person in on an yeah. essential work visa. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. Look, if, if it taught someone real skills, because I, I don't dismiss influencers as, oh, they're all narcissistic and vain. Mm. There are people who are like that in any industry. But it's a question of, I think, would you learn, like, real skills? Like, learning how to build an audience, learning how to communicate with them, building a fan base, it's important to pageantry. That is a very vital skill. When you talk about going into politics, it's kind of exactly the same thing. Exactly. And yeah. by the time, probably, if you are running, when you run, the social media would just become more important. So learning how to control the conversation and social, that's actually going to be a really good way of keeping some of the big companies accountable if you have a yeah. big following. Just yeah. yell, at, yell about it on your Instagram live <laughs> and then, you know, there'll be a lot of people boy, boycott, boycotting some companies. Anyway, that was a lot of ranting and raving. Uh, I love a good rant. I could rant for hours. We'll just keep talking till midnight. It'll be fine. <laughs> you should see when I record some of my podcasts and I start ranting. I mean, you, you said you were watching some of my lives. Like I've started recording them in my car because like a portable sound booth. I don't know if I was telling you this before the Miss Earth judging and I'm recording them in my car because I've got the my phone on the, like a holder on the windscreen, yeah, which you normally yeah. use for GPS. And it's there and I'm parked. The picture is I'm parked in a council car park. It's in the middle of COVID and I'm sitting in my car ranting and raving and shaking my hand so much the car is wobbling around. I've <laughs> fogged up the windscreen and people yes, can hear my right. voice because it goes here with myself because I'm just getting worked up. And people are outside, like you'll see old people going by. Like, is he okay? <laughs> I'm trying to stay on point whilst being very aware that there's someone there who's just like. Looking at you. <laughs> you know, it's like the same one with you. You know, you're rocking out in your car and then you pull up at the lights and there's someone next door and you're like, they're like this at you. And you've forgotten that you had the windows down, you had the wind in their hair and you're like, uh, 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 I'm just on a phone call. Oh, horrible. <laughs> Horrifically embarrassing, ranting and raving. Before, before we get to the final 10, uh, anyone that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, and also 
we have to uh, remind the audience when the Miss Earth Australia coronation is because that's tomorrow, 4 p.m.? Yes. yes. So um, for those of you who uh, would love to come along, the Miss Earth Australia coronation is going to be tomorrow at 4 p.m. Um, so we'll be able to crown our new Miss Earth Australia Queen and Elemental Court. Uh, so you can go watch that on the Miss Earth Australia Facebook and YouTube page at 4 p.m. So that would be fantastic if you could all come and see that. Um, and people I'd like to shout out, I guess, is just thank you everyone for watching and tuning in today. And thank you to the Miss Earth Australia organization for opening my eyes and giving me the opportunity to figure out what pageants are in Australia and to have such a memorable and positive experience with it as well, because you hear so many like pageant stories, like Horace, like I, I watched the one with um, Miss Europe Continental recently that um, you did earlier in the year. And I'm like, what? What? Like, horrible. Now you know why I start ranting and raving because that's the stories that I get given that no one else gets given. So that's yeah, where I'm so coming from. So thank you, Miss Earth Australia, for providing such a positive experience. And um, yeah, I look forward to potentially joining the organization again down the track. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and by the way, when Sheridan says tomorrow, we're recording this on Friday night. So it'll oh, be sorry, tomorrow, yeah. Saturday. No, 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 just in case people are watching this back on the replay. So Saturday, the 25th, 4 p.m. That's Sydney time. Check your local guides for details. I feel like I should say that, but that's a TV thing. Anyway, <laughs> let's get through to the final 10 random quick fire questions. Number one, what's your favorite word? My favorite word is sumptuous. And that means splendid and expensive looking, <laughs> sumptuous. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That that's a terrible <laughs> word. <laughs> I love it. Sumptuous. That to me triggers off the same reaction. That, moist. Yeah. <laughs> moist. that no, sumptuous can't be your moist. Come on, it's a it is. You got to imagine. I've heard like, moist so many <laughs> times. No effect, but sumptuous is like. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that I have now imparted this experience onto you. You're very welcome. It will stay with you forever. You. Okay, moving on before I vomit. Um, number two, least favourite word. Insularity. And insularity is um, like it basically means like ignorance or lack of interest in other people's cultures or language um, and things like that. I come along these big words when I'm like doing my readings for uni and I like writing them down because I think otherwise I don't understand the text if I don't Google what it means. Um, but yeah, insularity recently, I've been using a lot in my essays and exams and it's just I'm like, ah, for <laughs> five syllables. That is a long word. We should have a, <laughs> a pageant challenge. I have this sometimes with act, acting, like when they do the press tours for big movies and they give each other challenges because the press always asks the same questions. And it's like, you got to get a certain word into the answer of every question. I think that <laughs> should be your word. And you have to get that word into your answer for every question, insularity. Insularity, that's such a specific. <laughs> that's what I mean. And that's your oh word. So if I ask you, okay, so let's give it a go. You've got to get insularity into the answer for what's your favorite color for your gown? My favorite color for my gown is, um, I'm going to say red and orange because it's like the desert in Australia, which is where a lot of our Indigenous peoples are. And I feel like there's a lot of insularity in our culture right now around um, Indigenous Australians. So I'd love to be able to represent them more on the international stage. That is a okay. sumptuous answer. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm impressed. 
I'm impressed. You have a way with words. Uh, the the politici- <laughs> politics is calling you. Okay, question three. In life, what gets you excited or what turns you on? Something that gets me excited is definitely um, genuine connection with people. Like, you know, when you like meet someone and you just connect and you just vibe and you're able to talk for hours and hours and you feel energized being around them. Because I feel yeah. like there's definitely like people that drain you and then there's people. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I've been talking too much. And then there's people that. <laughs> I told you. Um, <laughs> I'm losing my voice now at the end, right? <laughs> um, and then there's definitely people that energize you. So finding people that energize you and you have that connection with, that's definitely something that excites me. Okay. Whilst you have a drink and try and recover your voice, which has been overworked the last two weeks, the <laughs> question is what turns you on? Question four, what turns you off? Um, definitely people that don't take the time or people that are very dismissive of other ways of thinking or other ideas. Um, for example, especially in terms of environment, like if someone's like, ah, oh, we should be eco-friendly and people automatically dismiss that, like, no, it's made up. Um, I don't believe you, blah, blah, blah. And they just block it off and they don't allow conversation. Mm-hmm. And even for people that, for example, might come up to me and be like, ah, climate change isn't real, I'm not going to block them off. I'll be like, well, why do you think that? Because I feel like so much and so often people are put into these boxes straight away um, and we don't actually get to find out why they think that and then that can really help build connection, especially with, like, the whole anti-vax vaxxing as well. It's like, well, if we can figure out why people are thinking that way, then we can meet in a middle ground. And maybe it's just, like, um, insularity or um, ignorance. (laughs) You don't have to get that word into the answer for every question, but if you want to, feel free. No, I think I'll stop there. But, yeah, um, so just being able to have those conversations. So people that don't want them, that's what turns me off. Perfect. Okay, question five. What sound or noise do you love? I love, and it's a very specific one, um, when I am in jewellery, uh, where I grew up, um, in my grandma's backyard, she had all these flowers and everything and it was very pretty and obviously it's very quiet there because the only sound Mm. you really hear is trucks going by because on the highway between Melbourne and Sydney um Mm. and birds and so I love being out there on like a warm afternoon and you get all these little birds flying in and out and there's like bird baths in the backyard and just like those sounds I've no idea what kind of birds they are I don't know much about that but um Mm. that specific sound and maybe like a plane flying overhead and a truck going by it's very relaxing for me that's where like yeah we would go to relax yeah okay what sound <laughs> or noise do you hate nails on jeans like the scratching on jeans oh, i can't stand it like you know how it's like chalkboard nails for me it's jeans and i don't know why but whenever someone like scratches their leg with jeans on i <laughs> i have to like grimace i can't stand it oh okay so when someone's wearing jeans and they've got long nails and they're scratching their leg that sound yeah I like your face. Literally, your face is like. (laughs) No, stop, stop, please. (laughs) I love collecting these answers. So I know if I ever want to make any pageant queen disappear from a room, I know what noise I have to make and they'll just run out of the room. All right. (laughs) Nails on jeans. Got it. Um, Question seven. If you could have any one superpower, what would you pick and why? I love this one. Um, I've been answering this. I figured it out, I think, five years ago what it would be, and it's been my go-to answer since, and it's the ability to refill things. Now hear me out. So, like, you have a packet of chips. You finish eating those chips. You're still hungry. 
bam, it's refilled. You're driving around in your car, your fuel runs out, bam, it's refilled. Um, you got like one water bottle, for example, and you can just keep refilling it for the rest of your life. You don't ever have to go buy another water bottle. And then if someone pisses you off, you can just like refill their bladder and you're set. And it applied to bank accounts too. I would love that. That would also be good. I haven't figured out if the power would work for that, but if you can just refill everything, you know, you need to buy things once and then you're set, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, i got to give it to you. That is definitely a unique answer. So I like, what would your superhero <laughs> name be? Ooh. The refiller. That's a horror. <laughs> I just go for something really unique, just Shezza. Shezza the superhero. Oh, no. <laughs> Such an Australian. Captain Shezza. Oi, Shezza, get over here. Refill my beer, mate. <laughs> Dear me. Question eight. What job or occupation other than your own would you most like to attempt? I would love to be the Prime Minister of Australia one day. So vote for me in like 10 years. I don't know. <laughs> vote Shezza for PM. That can vote be your Shezza, hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> you know how they got ScoMo, right? Mine will be Shezza. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I can get behind that. All right. What job or occupation would you definitely not like to attempt? Anything to do with sewage treatment or like at a sewage plant or anything? I, I don't think I would enjoy that very much at all. I that is have most common. The most common answer to this question has been something to do with garbage. It's always garbage or sewage or. Do you know what fatbergs are? I ask this every time someone mentions the sewage or the garbage. You know what fatbergs are? No. Do you I know when people know? pour? Probably not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You know when people <laughs> pour cooking oil and stuff like that down the drains, and then it goes into the sewage and it solidifies. And then because it blocks, you imagine it's like an, an artery. And when it starts getting blocked, it all accumulates in the same spot. And you end up with these giant icebergs made of fat in the sewage that those poor people then need to go and break open. And you watch them, you, you see them, they're wearing full-on hazmat oh, suits. Do you want to watch that? <laughs> no, I, I, no, I don't watch it, but you just see photos of it because I was like, how big are these things? And they can be hundreds. I think they can be tons several tons and because they got it's in the sewage it's got all this horrible stuff embedded in it like tampons and dead rats and like all that that's what fatbergs are they're oh, underneath um, if i didn't want to get into that industry now i definitely don't. <laughs> you're welcome by the way pleasant dreams tonight okay mm, um, having dinner straight after this mm, delicious <laughs> mm, meatballs okay final question if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'd like to hear something along the lines of like, you did enough or you did what you were not supposed to, but like you fulfilled everything that made your life worth living, I guess. Like you were able to experience it to the fullest. You found, you you know, you grew yourself. Um you found the things that made you tick and that made you excited, turned you on, and it was a good life. And so you've done you've done enough now. And you can rest. Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, Shezza, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
and best of luck with everything, whether it's politics or running for your next pageant, whenever it is. Uh, thanks also to everyone for watching live or on the replay. And a reminder that uh, the Miss Earth Australia coronation will be tomorrow, that's Saturday, 25th of September at 4 p.m. So tune in on their Facebook or YouTube. And we will speak to you next time. Bye for now. Oh, God, just hit the microphone on the way out. Bye, God. Bye, Bye. for now. Thanks for watching. Just a reminder to you entrepreneurial types to come and join us at our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the pageant boss. I'll see you inside and see you in the next episode.